Good morning. You sound great this morning. Look pretty good too, by the way. Sounding great. It's good to be with you this morning. I don't know if this past weekend, um, I don't know, it was pretty emotional for me on a lot of levels. You know, we're reminded this weekend of the 20th anniversary of 9-11, reminded of all that tragedy, reminded of the evil that's in the world and how much the world needs Jesus. Um, wow. Uh, reminded what a blessing it is to be able to get together and worship on a Lord's Day as well. Hey, you have probably seen the memes or the, uh, the, the Twitter postings about, I was today years old when, and then people tell you what they found out today. I was today years old, you know, when I found out something that probably everybody knew for a long time. You've seen those, right? I was today years old when I found out the population of California was more than the population of Canada. I was today years old when I found out that the drawer at the bottom of the stove is for keeping food warm, not for pots and pans. I was today years old when I found out that the L in the logo of Staples is actually a half-closed staple. You realize that, right? I was today years old when I found out that the words were pat a cake, pat a cake, baker's man, not patty cake, patty cake. (laughs) In the same vein, I was today years old when I found out that the little saying, this little piggy went to market, didn't mean he went grocery shopping. (laughs) So you can explain that to your children as you're wiggling their toes, you know, if you want to really freak them out, I guess. But the point of those memes, the point of those postings are, you know, we're always learning stuff, right? We're always learning something new. I think it was Mark Twain who said, the man who carries a cat by its tail will learn something you can learn no other way. (laughs) So we are always learning things. I hope that I'm always learning things. I hope that that I'm a little bit wiser. I hope I know a little bit more tomorrow than I did yesterday. I hope that's the case. It's why I watch Jeopardy, by the way, a lifelong learner. But a lot of things we learn just because we recognize it for like the first time, right? You know, the light bulb kind of comes on. And then there are some other things we learn by trial and error. We just keep trying different things and we keep failing until we kind of figure it out finally. And then there are some things we learn because we just get interested in it. So we do the research and we study and we, we find out what we want to know. But we all have to agree, there are a lot of things we learn because somebody taught us. There are things that we learn that we know how to do that we probably, we might have learned it otherwise, but somebody took the time to teach us. I think all of us would probably say, somebody, when I was a very small child, taught me how to tie my shoes. I don't think I figured that out all by myself when I was four, five. I don't know how old people are when they tie their shoes. I think we'd probably say, somebody taught me how to read and write. Someone taught me how to swim. Someone taught me how to drive a car. Even though when I was a teenager, you know, 14, 15 years old, I knew the basics of a car. I knew the steering wheel made it turn. I knew the accelerator made it go faster. The brake made it go slower. You know, your teenagers all know that. 
But I'm still going to guess that someone sat beside you and kind of taught you the nuances of driving a car. Because let's face it, us parents, we don't put our teenagers in the Buick and say, figure it out on your own, right? We want to teach them those things. So last week I asked a question, and the question was, did anyone teach you how to pray? I mean, people teach us different things. We, we, you know, people teach us how to read and write and tie our shoes and drive a car. Did anyone ever teach you how to pray? And I should have qualified that question a little bit. My question should have been, after the age of about six, did anyone teach you how to pray? Because if we think back, there quite possibly was a, a parent or a grandparent or a Sunday school teacher who taught us how to pray. But past the age of eight or nine or ten, you know, we don't usually teach people how to pray. And the reason is, past the age of about ten, we don't feel like we need anyone to teach us how to pray. Now, I don't need anyone to teach me how to drive a car now. I've been driving a car for a long time. I'm pretty confident in my knowledge and ability to drive a car. I don't know if I need someone to teach me how to pray. I've been praying for a long time. I'm pretty confident in my ability and my knowledge about prayer. And yet, in Luke chapter 11, Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples come, his Jewish disciples, his Jewish disciples who have been praying all their lives, who were taught how to pray, when, where, what to pray, these Jewish disciples, these grown men, come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, yes, I will. Luke chapter 11, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches them how to pray. But first, he teaches them how not to pray. And we talked at length about this, uh, length about this uh, last, uh, last week. And when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now I got to tell you, I got a little bit of pushback on this from last week. Many of you, some of you, got in touch with me and said, listen, hey, you can pray anytime. You can pray anywhere about anything. And my response to every one of you who said something to me was, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. I, I'm just reading here from Matthew chapter 6. And if you have a problem with what's said, you take it up with Jesus, not me. Uh, yes, the Bible absolutely does teach. And there are absolutely uh, examples in Scripture where people pray anytime, anywhere, about anything. We see people praying in the middle of temptation. We see, in the Old Testament, people praying headed into battle you know, from, from the belly of a fish. Uh, we see people praying um, in crisis. We see people praying when they're being blessed. We, we see people praying in public. Jesus prayed in public. Jesus prayed from the cross. So yes, you can absolutely pray anywhere, anytime, about anything. You can absolutely pray when you're driving. 
fact, I drive every day on I-4. I recommend it. <laughs> if you're driving on I-4, it's probably a good idea. But I want you to remember, Jesus never wasted any words. When Jesus taught, and that's what he's doing here. In fact, they ask him, teach us. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to teach you something. When Jesus taught, it was always to show us the will of the Father and to bless our lives. Jesus taught us things that would, that would be for our own good. So he says, um, I'm going to teach you to pray. First, don't make a big production about it, okay? Don't, don't stand where people can see you and make a big deal about it. Instead, do this. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your heavenly Father. It's what Jesus taught. Jesus, teach us to pray. Okay, don't do this, do this. Go into your room, close the door, pray to God. Go into your room, close the door, pray to God. How often do you intentionally put yourself in a place where you are completely removed from distractions when you pray? Your phone's not with you. Television's not on. Your family's not asking a million things from you. You're, you're not around a table. You're not about to fall asleep. How often do you intentionally put yourself in a place where all distractions are removed, where you're just alone with God? How often does that happen? Can I pray in traffic? Absolutely. Now, Paul said, pray without ceasing. He said, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. But if I'm going to pray like Jesus taught me to pray... I'm going to have to get in the habit of getting someplace and getting a time when it's just me and God. I'm going to have to be very intentional about being completely alone with the Father. I'm going to have to get out of traffic. I'm going to have to put the dog away. I'm going to have to, you know, uh, get home from the doctor's office. You have to go into a room and close the door. I've got to pray to God when it's just me and God. And if that's not part of your daily prayer routine, if that's not part of your prayer habit, then you're ignoring what Jesus taught when he taught us how to pray. And he goes on and says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And as I said last week, I think this is the point where Jesus has these people and us right where he wants us. Jesus has their attention. I hope he has our attention as well. They asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. So Jesus is going to explain to them how to pray. I mentioned last week, it would be offensive to a lot of people. I said, let me show you, let me teach you how to pray. Well, if you're still offended by the suggestion that maybe we don't pray quite like we should, I think Jesus has us right where he wants us. He seems to be telling this, his audience, and I think he's telling us, there are some really important things about prayer that you need to learn. You need to learn some things. So, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus says, I will teach you to pray. And the disciples are leaning in to what Jesus is about to say. Because they've been around Jesus long enough to know when you ask Jesus a question, sometimes he gives a direct answer. 
But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes, instead of a direct answer, he might tell a story. He'll tell a parable. And then he'll ask you what the parable meant and put you on the spot. And that's always very awkward. You know, sometimes he'll do that. Sometimes he won't answer it at all. Sometimes he just kind of left a question hanging there. But thankfully for those people, and, and thankfully for us, Jesus is going to speak directly into the tension that he has created here. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Again, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. We pray to our Father in heaven. We don't pray to Jesus. We don't pray to his mama. We don't pray to the saints. We pray to our Father who is in heaven. Our perfect heavenly Father. And I think that is so important. And we're so used to kind of using that phrase, our Heavenly Father. It just kind of rolls off our tongue. And and we don't really think very much about what we just said. But Jesus didn't say, pray to our spirit in heaven, which God is a spirit. He didn't say our judge in heaven. God is a judge. He didn't say our supreme ruler in heaven. Jesus is inviting us into something that is so much more personal, so much more intimate than spirit or concept or being or deity or or ruler or judge. He's inviting us into something that's personal, that's relatable, something that's not just formulaic. In fact, Peter, who knew Jesus as well as anyone, Peter, who was probably in that group when they asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. In fact, might have been Peter who asked the question. I don't know. It would be keeping with Peter's personality, wouldn't it? Peter would later write in 1 Peter chapter 5, Cast all your cares and worries on him, for he cares for you. Peter would say, this is personal with God. When you pray to God, just cast your cares and worries on him, because he cares about you. It's intimate. It's personal. It's relational. I think that here Jesus is trying to put some God-sized realities into some human-sized concepts that our, you know, kind of finite minds can absorb. So he says, the best way I can describe this relationship, the best way for you to comprehend who it is you are coming into the presence to, the best way for you to comprehend an otherwise incomprehensible God is to relate to Him, approach Him as your perfect Heavenly Father. Now, for some people, that's not a problem. For me, that's not a problem. I am a father. I had a really, really good father. For me, the image that Jesus is creating here, it's really comfortable for me. It makes perfect sense to me. God is our perfect Heavenly Father. For some other people, and maybe for you, that imagery, that concept might be a little bit uncomfortable because maybe your relationship with your earthly father wasn't something that you feel like ought to be honored and celebrated. Or maybe you didn't even really know your earthly father. Maybe there's some things about your earthly father that don't evoke great memories. Here's the good news. Your perfect heavenly Father knows all that. 
Your perfect heavenly Father is aware of that. He appreciates that. So what I tell people is, just take that with you when you go to God in prayer. Just take all that with you. Your perfect heavenly Father can handle that. Bring that with you when you pray. Because if Jesus is correct, and I think he is, if Jesus is correct, if we are to opt for some other image, if we're to opt for some other um, concept of God other than our perfect heavenly Father, we've missed something. We've missed something that, that we all desperately need. So he goes on. Our Father in heaven, and here's the part that we, we usually skip, hallowed be your name. Jesus' point here, remember he said, when you pray, this is how we're to pray. We should pause and we should acknowledge who it is we're praying to. Yes, we are praying to our perfect heavenly Father, but we're also praying to our great God. We are praying to the uh, uncreated creator, who, by the way, has invited us to address him as Father. Now, you think about the, the contrast here, intimate and, and infinite. We need to pause in our prayers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What an honor it is to come into your presence. What an honor it is to know that I'm seen, that I'm heard. What an honor it is for me to believe that you consider someone like me worthy of a relationship with someone like you, to have a conversation with the God who created the heavens. Now, let's just be honest. That's hard to do in traffic. It just is. It's really hard to do that when you're changing lanes. Because it takes time, and it takes thought, and it takes intentionality. And it takes creating some space for you to just quietly consider who it is that I'm praying to. And who it is whose presence I've just entered. I think when we pause, we we get a better understanding of who God is, but also who we are in our relationship to God. The relationship between the Creator and the created. Now, this is kind of the time in prayer where we recenter a little bit. It's a time in prayer where we recalibrate a little bit who we are and, and who God is. We think about our lives, you know, our little lives. And our lives aren't defined by what we can accomplish, and our lives aren't defined by how long we live. Our lives are really defined by in whose image we are created and whose children we are. And if you skip over this part of Jesus' prayer, you're going to be tempted to rush past and rush through the next part of Jesus' prayer. In fact, you're going to be tempted to just ignore the next part of Jesus' prayer because what Jesus says next... I think, is why we pray. And what Jesus says next is why we need to set some time and a place aside and be alone with God, to close the door, to walk outside, get away from distractions. When we rush past addressing who God is, we basically are reducing God to some good luck charm. Kind of like the last look at the mirror as we walk out the door. 
Wish me luck as I enter my presentation. Wish me luck at the doctor's office. If there's no sense of awe, if there's no sense of wonder, the creator of all things, hallowed be your name. Skip that. And what Jesus says next is going to be lost on you. It's what follows next that almost never shows up in our prayers. And I think it's one reason why maybe our prayers are too shallow. And maybe our prayers are ineffectual. Dear God, thank you for this day. Here's my list. Got to run. Here's what Jesus said. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Got it. Love it. Understand it. Yep. I'm not going to make a big production when I pray. I'm going to go into my room. I'm going to close the door. I'm not going to keep babbling, using the same words. I'm going to pray to my perfect heavenly Father. I'm going to acknowledge God for who He is. Got it. Love it. Now can I start asking for stuff? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is the part of the Lord's Prayer that all my life I've been told this doesn't apply to us. This part of Jesus' prayer doesn't apply to us because Jesus prayed this prayer before the cross. And He prayed this prayer before the resurrection. He prayed this prayer before Acts chapter 2. So the kingdom that He is praying for has already come. So we don't pray that part of that prayer. As if Jesus didn't imagine that the Holy Spirit would one day uh, inspire Matthew and Luke to write this down. It was going to take some really smart Bible person to figure out how to close that loophole about the resurrection and the kingdom. I think this part of Jesus' prayer absolutely applies to us. I think it's why Jesus agreed to teach us to pray. I think this is the part of Jesus' prayer we probably need the most teaching on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Has the kingdom of God come? Yes, absolutely. Everything I just said is true. We are living on this side of Acts 2. We are living on this side of the resurrection. God's kingdom has come. But it hadn't come for my neighbor. Not yet. I've got family members. The God's kingdom hadn't come for them. Not yet. No, they're not living in the will of God. What's up there isn't down here. Not yet. And notice Jesus in his prayer says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wait a minute. What about my will? What about my family? What about my problems? What about my job or lack of job? What about, what about my issues, my struggle? What about my kids? You know, what about me? And I think Jesus would smile and say, I've already covered that. <laughs> were, you, were you not listening? I've already talked about that. I already mentioned that. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Weren't you listening? So, I don't have to lead with that? And Jesus would say, no. You don't have to lead with that. That's why it's so important to pause and to stop and to think about who we're addressing. 
Because when we pause and stop, when we acknowledge who it is that we are in the presence of, what else is there to say other than, you first. (laughs) Your will be done. Your kingdom. Uh, Let's not worry so much about my kingdom. Let's not worry about my will. My kingdom can wait. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, that's the point of prayer. That's prayers where we realign ourselves, our will, our life with the will and the life of Jesus and God's purpose. The purpose of, of prayer is to surrender our will to God's will, not to impose my will on God. Heavenly Father, I want, I want, I want, I want. Jesus said, no, start with Heavenly Father, I want what you want. I want in my life what you want in my life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is not so much about moving God as it is by being moved by God. I need to learn that about prayer. It's not about convincing God to to do what I want Him to do. It's about submitting myself and and allowing God to make me who He wants me to be. Think about this. It's the very same thing that we find Jesus wrestling with that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's praying to God. And His prayer is about the cross. And He prays, Father, if there's any way, take this cup away. Let this cup pass. I don't want to do this, but remember how Jesus finished that prayer. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. You think about what was hanging in the balance when Jesus prayed that prayer. Not my will, because I I, I know what my will is, but your will be done. You think of what was in the balance. You think of who was hanging in the balance when Jesus prayed that prayer. You were. I was. We all, our lives were hanging in the balance when Jesus made the decision to submit his will to God's will. So these disciples come to Jesus and say, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus says, yes, I will teach you to pray. In fact, he's not just teaching them how to pray. He's teaching them how to live. I want you to pray like me, but I want you to live like I live. Submitting to the will of of our Heavenly Father. And according to Jesus, if we go to God in prayer with any other attitude, with, with any other agenda, other than complete submission to God's will, Jesus would say, you're doing it wrong. You need to learn something about prayer. And I think a lot of times, we do it wrong. I think a lot of times I do it wrong. Just like you, I've got my own little kingdom. I've got my own agenda. I've got my own will for my life. And Jesus wants to be sure and remind me, God knows all about your fragile little kingdom. He's promised to be with you. He's promised to take care of you. So we don't start there. In fact, we shouldn't start there. Heavenly Father, Hallowed be thy name. Your agenda, not mine. 
Your will, not mine. Your kingdom, not mine. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done right here, right now. Your will be done right here, right now, in my life, in my family, in my struggles, with my resources. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the point. Until we can get there, until we can get in a place where we are submitting our will to God's, what's the point of prayer? Really, what's the point? Until we can get here, we're just users. We're just consumers. We're just seeing God as that cosmic vending machine, waiting to see what he gives us next. Consider this. If you quit praying to God because God didn't answer a prayer like you thought he would, even if it was a very legitimate prayer, there was a sickness, there was a crisis, I needed God and I prayed and he didn't answer like I thought he would. People say, I'm not going to pray to God anymore. What does that say about your view of God? You say, I'm not going to pray anymore because God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. What does that say about your view of God? You assume that that says something about God. Really, it says something about our view of God. You know, if there's a God, and if God is real, and if God hears prayers, well, if he didn't answer my prayer the way I thought he should, well, I don't think he cares. I, I'm not even sure he's there. So... I'm not going to pray anymore. And you know what? That is completely understandable. That is completely understandable if all you see God as is a grantor of favors. If all you see God as is someone who just sort of, kind of arbitrarily decides who to bless and who not to bless, that makes sense. But what if Jesus was right? What if Jesus was right? What if prayer begins by recognizing who God is? What if prayer begins by submitting our will to God? What if prayer is about so much more than what we think it is? What if prayer was about something so much bigger than we ever imagined it to be. Yeah, it, we're part of it, but it's, it's, it's about something so much bigger than us. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, when do we get to ask for stuff? Next week. Okay? We're going to talk about that next week. And I've got a feeling there's some things that we're going to learn as Jesus tells us what to ask for and then what to expect from God when we ask Him of things. So I don't know, maybe you were today years old when you realized that when it comes to prayer, I have some things to learn. When it comes to prayer, maybe I've been doing it wrong.
Maybe Jesus is speaking to me, speaking to us, when he teaches us how to pray. So I hope you come back next week. I hope you tune back in next week. Um, Come back and see us next week. Lots of room. Love to have you back here as things get a little bit safer. Still lots of room to distance. But for this this morning, Dave's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. There's several different ways that you can ask for prayers here. Uh, If you're watching online, there's a link that you can go to and someone will be praying for you. Uh, There's a box in the lobby right on the right underneath the television out there with some prayer request cards. If you would like to stay a little bit uh, more private, you can drop a card in there. We have a prayer room over here that uh, the the shepherds here uh, would love to pray with you personally in that room. They'll go in and shut a door. Um, Or, if it's something that you'd like your church family to be praying about, you can meet us at the front of the auditorium, and we'll do that as well this morning. So let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.